Hello and welcome to D2C Podcast. I'm Eric Dick. Today, we're closing the loop on returns with president of Loop Returns, Aaron Schwartz. In the apparel space, returns average 38%, which just shocked me, and it makes me think I'm keeping way too many clothes. Aaron joins D2C to discuss all the ways that you can help turn at least 30% of those returns into exchanges and increase your customer LTV. Loop Returns is the leading platform that turns returns into exchanges for some of the world's biggest and fastest growing D2C brands. You'll hear all about how the returns ecosystem is broken. You'll hear exactly the impact that seamless returns have on your LTV. And you'll learn the steps that every brand can take to transform 30% of your returns into exchanges. Hope you enjoy this one. On with the show. Imagine the person who goes through return experience and literally just doesn't want an exchange. They just want their money back. We have a lot of data that shows that folks that go through a loop experience are more likely to come back and repurchase from a brand. And the way to think about that is like, if you go through and you don't like a product and you return it, it's a pain in the butt. It doesn't matter how good the next advertisement is. You're just not going to try that brand again. And if it's seamless, you're more likely to be like, okay, cool. I got my money back quickly. There was no hassle. Let me try the brand again. CAC is going out for every D2C brand across the board. So you're paying more to acquire a customer. The best brands are the ones where as they're growing, more of their revenue is coming from repeat purchases and they don't have a leaky bucket. And so returns and turning a return into an exchange is the key profit driver. Aaron, it's nice to connect with you here on the D2C podcast. I love to start with why. Can you tell me why you are presiding over and building a company based on D2C returns? Yeah, um, this is really fun. Thanks for having me. Um, returns are a pretty big deal, right? If you and I started a t-shirt company tomorrow, we'd choose Shopify and then we'd probably go Klaviyo and then Gorgeous or Zendesk. And then you'd figure out who you do fulfillment with. And then the next piece that's most important is probably returns. You know, if you're an apparel brand, 30% of your customers will return. Even if you're an electronics brand, it might be 15 right, percent. Um, footwear, it's higher. Swimwear, it's higher. And so you're going to have returns. Having a generous return policy means that somebody is more likely to purchase up front. And then you need to think about, okay, cool. We've paid 50 bucks to Instagram to acquire a customer. If she's doing a return because she doesn't get the perfect product the first time, it doesn't mean she hates me. It doesn't mean she hates my brand. She needs a new product. And so you want to do everything in your power to, to keep that customer and get her into a product that she loves. So, What would you say is broken about the current return ecosystem? Man, I think it depends. I think the first thing is, is like, it depends on the ethos of the brand, right? Like we could have a brand with no returns by having a very high restocking fee. We would also just have fewer sales, right? Because people would just not want to buy a front because they don't get to don't get to try the product. I think once you have a brand that with an ethos of we want to get customers into, into products that they love, the thing that tends to be broken is probably number one is the customer experience. They make it painful, right? So you've got to click a lot of buttons to do an, an exchange um, or even just a return. You've got to call somebody or email somebody, right? I'm, I'm doing a return on some luggage right now and it's wait six days for an RMA. or So that's just painful and I'm not going to shop at the brand again, right? The second part is painful on the physical part of the return. So at some point, if I'm doing a return or exchange, I need to physically send that product back. And brands are, like the best brands are creating, like making it as easy as possible for a shopper. And then the third piece is like, going back to what I said earlier, is a, a brand has paid a lot of money to acquire the customer. And if you only think about returns as a cost center and you ignore the fact that it is a core driver on profit, you're missing out. Because what you really need is to retain the customer, get her into a product she loves, and then she'll become a fan and she'll repeat purchase and you know tell your story. 
And so what is the impact that a great return experience can have on customer LTV? So, so we look at it kind of two different ways. The, the first one is imagine the person who goes through return experience and literally just doesn't want an exchange. They just, they just want their money back. We have a lot of data that shows that folks that go through a loop experience um, are more likely to come back and repurchase from a brand. So if it's a 10% um, repurchase rate um, for some of our competitors, it doesn't matter who, it'll be 15% for us within a shorter period of time. And the way to think about that, forget all the, the data, is like if you go through and you don't like a product and you return it, it's a pain in the butt. It doesn't matter how good the next advertisement is or you're just not going to try that brand again. And if it's seamless and it's seamless digitally and it's seamless logistically and it just works, you're more likely to be like, okay, cool. I got my money back quickly. There was no hassle. Let me try the brand again. The second part, which is I think the more impactful part is like when you turn that return into an exchange, you think about the fact that like CAC is going out for every D2C brand across the board. One, because of like Apple, ATT, but also just because it's easier to start a brand. So you have more competition in the marketplace, right? So you're paying more to acquire a customer. The best brands are the ones where as they're growing, more of their revenue is coming from repeat purchases, right? And they don't have a leaky bucket. And so returns and turning a return into an exchange is the key like profit driver on that front. So I guess people probably use your tool in different ways, but can you p- pull up an example? Like, give me, walk me through like an ideal return experience. Like, first of all, does everyone have have different sort of ways of skinning the cat? And second of all, walk me through a really good one. Yeah, everybody's different. I mean, my my um, my consumer brand that I started in 2010 was fundamentally different. Like, every single company has a different return policy, and part of our platform is the idea of like there isn't a right answer. It's what's right for you. Right? And it ties your policies and how generous you want to be. Your return window. Do you want to give somebody a bonus credit? to do an exchange instead of a return. So um, I would think about like, we've got 1700 brands, we've got big footwear, small footwear, right? Footwear brands in the US and the UK, Australia. And then we've got the exact same story for intimates and apparel and swimwear and cosmetics and, 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 right? And so everybody's got different preferences. The ideal return experience I'd say is like, first of all, seamless, right? You don't need to talk to somebody, you can do it on your phone. For a brand, you want to get information about why a customer's returning. So you want there to be relevant questions like why, what, what don't you like about this product? But, you know, get the data so you can improve your merchandising, so you can improve your actual like physical production. Um, you then want to push people towards a variant exchange. So think like a small for a large, a blue for a green, a nine and a half for a 10. Because the vast majority of exchanges are because I got something, it just doesn't fit. Let me go get, right? I still like this product. I want to get the one that fits better or, or the color looks better, whatever it is. And then that's where most return platforms stop. We do a couple things on top of that. The first one is we let you shop across the entire catalog. So like you go to Chubby's, for example, and you don't see what you want immediately, we can then plop you onto the Chubby's website, which they've done a wonderful job of optimizing the purchase funnel. And now you can shop across the entire catalog with your credit. So you actually get to pull the credit. The second thing is we empower our brands to give um, bonuses to their shoppers. So like Eric, you, again, let's just use Chubby's. We'll stick with that example. You go and you bought $100 and then um, they say, hey, don't return, here's $110. You can't then like spend 90 bucks and like, you're, you're not really gaming the system, but what it will do is it will incentivize you to shop more, try other products. Maybe you try a slightly higher price product or you buy two products or whatever it is, and that increases your basket size. So I'd say like, number one is variant exchanges. Number two is shop across the whole product. Number three is incentivize shoppers to do that. And then number four is at that point, Eric, you still want to do a return, create one more incentive. Hey, instead of getting hundred bucks back in your credit card, here's $115 in store credit. Would you prefer that? Not as good, right? You're not, again, none of this can be painful. You're not like creating friction for the sake of friction, but you're just giving Eric a choice. Like, hey, do you want this or not? And if you take this, it's not as good as getting you into a pair of shorts that you love in that example. 
but it's pretty good because they get to retain the money. Hopefully they can convert you into a customer into a product that you love as well. And they're all just engagement points. And I feel like that's that's a theme on the podcast again and again is you just really need to maximize when you have, we're like in an, in an attention economy to a large extent as well as a D2C economy. So every engagement touch point you have is hyper relevant. And that exact moment of, of making a return is super important to that customer lifetime value. And if you can gamify it and make it interesting, it'll be that much more memorable for hopefully them to return. That's it. I mean, a very important part of our platform, you kind of hinted at it. It's like, it's not our brand, it's theirs, right? So post-purchase is massive and your shoppers will come back and we'll see. Give them a delightful on-brand experience throughout the whole thing. What's your stance on generosity? I guess, every, again, every brand is different, but I, do you advise brands to be as generous as the, as they can be in this in at this touch point? It depends, right? And it depends on what the market is like, right? So I'd say... You know, we're, we're, we're talking uh, kind of right at the cusp of fall of, of 2022. And if it was beginning of 2022, everybody would be like, be generous. Money's cheap. We can just grow, 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 grow. And right now, everybody's mindful that, okay, money's not as cheap and you can't just grow, grow, grow. And like consumers are, you know, pulling back their spending. So we can see the brands that we serve growing at a slightly slower rate. There's a difference between being generous, I think, being clear and just like being supportive of your customers. Maybe um, like kind of all those things can wed together. So if you think about like being generous, yes, I would have an extended returns policy, certainly during the holidays, certainly when shipping is slow. So, you know, somebody might not get the product for seven days, even though you it used to get there for three days, extend your return policy by a week or two weeks, right? Like create, create more space there. I would enable, uh, like the best brands will differentiate their VIP customers. I think from first time shoppers, they might be more generous with the first time shopper because they really want to get them like with bonus credit. I talked about, they really want to convert that shopper into a lifetime customer. But with the VIP customers, maybe what they can do is they can be more generous by saying like, hey, you get a 90-day return window, not 30 for the generic shopper. Um, you get free pickup at home, right, with a partner at ours versus somebody else would have to pay six bucks for pickup at home. So I think there's like a good way to be strategic and to drive great customer experiences. I don't even know that I would call it generous, right? If you're like doing something where you know it's actually going to create higher lifetime value, wonderful, right? Like it's a win-win. Yeah, it's not like you're throwing good after bad. You know, there's, you're only throwing good after good if the outcome is reached. Well, I think that's right. I mean, I think the, the other piece is just like you need good data to understand who your good customers are and who are the customers who might be return policy abusers. So you want it is great for somebody to return five times if they buy 15. It's not good for somebody to return five times if they only buy six. Right. So like, how do you go figure out and create the experiences for those people? And then obviously we do a lot with this, but we can help our brands identify those customers and hopefully create differentiated journeys for the people who are maybe the most profitable or the, or the happiest customers. And it's such good data. Like, first of all, it's first party data. And I'm curious if there are any brands who use the data generated during this return experience on the front end, either for audiences or for then it's also just amazing market research, obviously, right? You just need that data to understand why people are returning. Oh, shoot, this product doesn't fit right. Oh, it's not as waterproof as we thought or whatever, right? The way that we think about it is like we're on the post-purchase stack, right? We're a returns provider, but we integrate all over the place, right? And we, we're 100% Shopify focused, right? So 1,700 brands all Shopify, which means we have the Klaviyo integration and the Gorgeous integration and the Rise.ai integration, et cetera. Um, Attentive, I think we just launched. What we try to do is make sure that the right data is piped elsewhere because we are one of the few companies who see the full purchase journey, right? Like we could talk about your CAC or something, it's 50 bucks. But if you do your CAC based on what products are kept, your CAC is actually a lot higher. Right. So like we think about, OK, how do we help drive upfront conversion, but not just of things that people will buy, but products that people will keep? And where can our data inform how other like loyalty partners, recommendations partners do their jobs better? Because ultimately, we're all serving the same merchant, right? Whether it's Allbirds or Chubbies or Figs, you name it. Um, we all want to help them get better at what they do. 
when it comes to just monitoring your returns generally, like you say sort of 20% is sort of across the, again, it's going to be totally different. I always ask questions where people are like, it's totally different, but like when, what are red flags that brands should look out for, like in their return experience? You know, if you go from like a manual process where people have to email in or, or call in, and then you turn on any automated solution, ours, a small guy, one of the other big guys, it doesn't matter. You'll see a big spike in returns. That's not a bad thing. So a spike isn't definitionally bad. It means that you removed a lot of friction. You probably have a lot of people who are less annoyed with you, right? Then, of course, you want to turn those returns into exchanges. So probably the things I would look at are return rate. Like, do you see it really spiking? Because probably what's happening in that situation is there's probably a problem with the product. Like, not the tech product, the physical product. It might be the product is fine, but the messaging on your site is confusing, right? Um, the mo- Like, you should work on your fit data or, like, have better imagery on the site or whatever it is, right? And you should use a platform like ours. There, there are others as well, right? Where like you can pull in that data and you can understand, is there actually an issue there? I mean, I can probably stop there. I could, I'll, I'll ramble yeah. all day on this, but yeah. Uh, it's baseball season is on my mind. I'm a, I'm a Blue Jays fan, uh, getting trounced by the Yankees lately. Uh-huh. But I think about their save percentage, uh, the amount of games that their closer is able to come in and save. What's what's a good number? Like what what's a good number you've seen from actual returns becoming exchanges with Loop? Yeah, um, that's a great question. We just came out with a benchmark report, I think probably in early September, um, which shows kind of differences by um, by vertical, right? And I think it was across 10 million data points, like 10 million returns. I think our apparel average is somewhere in the ballpark of 32%. Um, so if you think about for every, you know, you're a $10 million business, right? And you have $3 million in returns. We are retaining a, a million of those 3 million type of thing, right? Versus a peer might retain 700000 or $800,000, you also are retaining the customer. And so like inching that percent up, every like 1% is worth for that brand, $30,000, right? If they have $3 million of returns and we can get it from 20% to 21%, they're saving $30,000 right then. And they're saving a lot of customers. And so, yeah, I can, I can, I'm happy to share the benchmark report as well, but it obviously depends by vertical, depends by size, it depends by, frankly, what your policy is, what part of our product you use. So. Our audience does love benchmark reports. I just think anytime <laughs> you can get that that you know view of objectivity a little bit across the industry, I think it's always oh yeah for sure. I started as a consultant too, so I can go like build some Excel models for you guys. It'll be wonderful. It'll be so much fun. Yeah, totally. So one third you can potentially save one third of those returns, turn them into exchanges, which would have a big. Do you recommend that brands calculate CAC with returns in mind? Do brands at, at a high scale generally? Uh, calculate returns into their overall CAC? It's funny. Um, first of all, the 32% isn't like upwards. What you could say, that's our average for apparel. So like there are some that are 40, 50, 60%. Surprisingly high, to be honest with you, just on my personal experience of having it's, return close. And stuff. It's super high. Um, I mean, look, the the perspective from Loop has always been, let's solve the hardest problem, which is turning a return into an exchange. It's like, it's the thing we focus on. And there's a lot we don't focus on. Logistics, which you would think we would as a returns. So we just partner with a lot of great logistics companies, right? So we only focus on turning a return into exchange, creating a delightful experience for the shopper. And now, of course, I, I lost the plot on what the other piece, oh, sorry, uh, conversion rate. Um, so in terms of in terms of conversion rate, the way that I would approach it, um, I was texting one of our board members this morning who is an operator, and I was like, hey, can we start telling the story around net conversion rate? Because this is how I always think about it, is like, if I were running an agency, I'd you know, go get conversions and be like, hey, yeah, your, your CAC is two bucks or $27 or th- whatever it is, doesn't matter. But if I'm the operator, what I care about is my net conversion rate. So my orders minus my returns plus my save sales. So think about the returns that turn into exchanges. We, we call it save sales. That to me is actually the real CAC. 
Now you can look at it differently with lifetime value and gross margin and yada, 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 right? But I actually think like if you have a short enough return window, you should be calculating your CAC based on that because that's the real number. Anybody can go get somebody to buy a product. It's much harder to get them to keep it. I'm just waiting for the new acronym to drop. As a collector of acronyms in this industry, we need to come NCR, to that conversion rate. I don't know. Or NCR, national. I like that one. Okay, good. Kind of we're gonna, it's a thing. We're going to make that one stick. Did we just trademark it and buy, buy the website? This is great. I, I think we did. Um, you heard it here first, folks. Uh, let's talk Black Friday Cyber. How much do returns go up in times of mass conspicuous consumption, such as Q4 Black Friday? They do. I mean, look, return, returns are a function of orders. So when there are more orders, there's almost definitely going to be more returns during Black Friday. What about have- the percentage? It, it, do people, because they're buying more Slapdash or Fast and Furious, mm-hmm. like, are there more returns? Yeah. So there will be. And then, so proportionally, the question is, like, will there be more or less? To me, um, like, the data shows proportionally more. And so then the question is, why more? Part of it is because there are big sales. And so people are willing to, like, try something new. But the biggest piece is gifting, right? And so um, you're buying somebody Marine Layer, you're buying somebody Allbirds or whatever it is, and like you don't exactly know their size, you don't exactly know what color they want, right? And so you do it, and then you want to create a really easy experience for them. It is very rare for somebody to do a return at that situation and like not want to do an exchange. So make it easy for them to do an exchange to figure out what product they actually want um, from that brand. Uh, but yeah, the percentages go up. Very cool. Anything else that you want to kind of get across here about uh, people and their, you know, return policies, return experiences heading into the, this busiest time of year? Yeah, I think I think the, a lot of brands will think about like you need to shut down everything by October 15th or November 1st. But the reality is the vast majority of returns start on December 26th. So get through Black Friday, Cyber Monday, and then you actually still have a month to like refine your return policy, frankly, to like switch return software. Like you can still do all that because what you really want is to be ready on December 26th and then, you know, kind of surprise and delight folks at that point. So in the thousands of, uh, you know, 1 million to 5 million to 10 million brands uh, who listen to this, who's in the sweet spot for benefiting from loop returns? Like what, what's, what are your size thresholds of clients that you work with? We work with some of the largest Shopify merchants, right? So Figs, Allbirds, Princess Polly, Third Love just joined us, right? Like, so some, some of the, the biggest and the best. And we work with some of the smallest as well, and like the up-and-comers. Uh, again, my background was as a brand owner and a Shopify merchant. And so, like, it is very important as the head of product here that we are serving the smallest guys. I think I'd say less about the size of the brand and more about the verticals. If you are a vertical with a broad selection of products, we're a good provider. So you're an apparel company, a swimwear company. If you're a company that, like, hey, look, we sell paper products and we've got this one beautiful notebook, you should probably do returns on your own. Like, We'll automate it for you if you don't have capacity, but like you won't see the bang for the buck from us in terms of like turning a return into an exchange. That is the like hardest problem and the most impactful problem. So it's more what type of business you are versus I'd say what what size you are. Um, the only other nuance I would say is brands who have a lot of out of stock issues, and then that will create out of stock issues on exchanges, which is a nightmare scenario. Hey, you got a medium, you want to exchange for a small. Okay, and then in the interim, three weeks before it got back to the warehouse, they sold out of the small. You can use our instant exchanges product, right? So like there, there are some brands where like might have a small SKU count. Obviously, this works for big SKU count brands as well. But if you have a small SKU count and you have a lot of out of stock, our exchange product, like the instant exchange product, solves that problem as well. That's awesome. I know you're not uh, the last mile delivery, but how long until a drone can just come and pick up my item from my front Dude, porch? Dude, you're, 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 uh, you're speaking my language here. Um, my, our perspective um, on how we think about logistics is we are a massive aggregator of um, brands and of shopper volume, right? And so every 
carrier, USPS, FedEx, UPS, through like VHO, a pickup at home, or even Happy Returns, right? Ostensibly a competitor, but a very interesting um, logistics partner of ours. Like they all want to work with us. And our perspective is how do we create a flight to quality? So how do we make it as easy as possible for you as a shopper to process your return? By the way, it's good because if it's not a pain in the butt, right? We talked about you're more likely to come back. It's also good for a brand because the more seamless it is for you, the fewer customer service tickets they get, the faster they get the inventory back in stock. The minute that drone pickup at home works and is a better product, we should be the earliest adopter and any drone pickup at home company should want to work with us because yeah. we have all the customers that they want. I've seen Amazon, someone on our team actually recently advertised that they have actually a service where someone, where one of their last mile people will come to your house and actually take the product from you. Like that's, that's pretty, that's pretty seamless. We are, we are, yeah, we're working on, um, we're launching a partnership, I think next week or two weeks from now. So I don't know when this will come live, but in early October, we're launching a pickup at home. Obviously today you can do pickup at home from like the major carriers, but we're talking about more like cable windows, like two to four hours. Somebody will come by and pick it up. You'll, that'll process your refund. It'll process the exchange. So we want to keep shortening that window and lowering that pain for you. And then forget us, like that shines well on the brand, reflects well on the brand. Yeah, soon you'll just need to send them with a little carrying case of the other products and they can do like live exchanges right there. That's it. We, we've, um, we've, we've talked about that. Uh, it is extraordinarily complex. Give us yes. like a year or two. Um, but we are, we're, we're all incentivized for that to happen. It's just, it's so much better of a shopper experience. Yeah, turn turn them into Mary Kay salespeople. Turn the delivery people into Mary Kay salespeople that can show up and host a Tupperware party. Eric, look, if this podcast doesn't work out and you're looking to be our first um, person who walks around and does exchanges, just let me know, man. Yeah. I'll, I'll set it up. That would be a lot of fun. Anything else on the radar on, you know, you're obviously forward thinking uh, about about this whole space. Anything else on your radar about where you see this, this whole customer experience going? Yeah, I'd say less about the shopper experience and more about the merchant experience. Um, we sit on a ton of data and we sit on a ton of data about who good shoppers are and who bad shoppers are. So you're a first time shopper to one of our brands. You might be a 50th time shopper to all of our brands, right, to our network. And so we've been doing a lot of work. Um, we have a workflows product, which is like a customization engine. So you can differentiate the experience for a VIP versus a first time shopper, whatever, right? We can do more to enable our brands to know who the good shoppers are. And so the value of that is less about the sales side. It's more about the returns abuse side. Who are the people who... You might want to create a seamless exchange experience. So when Eric sends something back, the, the exchange is shipped right away. And for me, let's say I'm a, I'm a quote unquote like higher risk shopper. You might want me not to get my exchange until somebody at your warehouse inspects it, opens it up, make sure that the product isn't scuffed. And so I'd say like that is actually the next forefront on returns is helping our brands lower their cost basis. We're doing a lot right now. There's obviously so much more we can do. Very cool. What do you recommend people do? People in the audience go to loopreturns.com. You want to check this out? What's the actual URL? I should Google that. It's like, I don't think I should push people to my Twitter. I think I get zero retweets. So it's not that interesting. Yeah, loopreturns.com would be wonderful. Um, we, we talked about, I think at the top still, there's still the benchmark report. Yeah, people can reach out to us through any any social channel, LinkedIn, you name it too. So. We have a lot of geeks who love Twitter uh, and probably are interested in returns. So you should probably drop your Twitter handle too. I believe I'm Aaron Schwartz 35, but if I'm not, I'm Aaron Schwartz Klee, C-L-E, because I grew up in Cleveland, which um, is America's favorite city. And I don't know which one is on Twitter and which one is on Instagram because I'm old and forgetful. Cleveland rocks. I, I have heard. I've never been there, but I also know you're not there anymore. Yeah, we live in the Bay Area. I, I married somebody out here and I don't have a choice. So nice. it's, it's a rough life. That's yeah, me too. I have to live in Victoria, BC. I sh I'm from like the Milltown, Cambridge, Ontario, and I, but someone, someone's got to live out here, you know? That's right. I'm just 
being generous and taking a hit for all of us. On the West Coast. Nice. Well, you will have to loop back and uh, return to the podcast with an update uh, as uh, the space evolves. It's been a lot of fun. Thanks, Aaron. Anyway, this is great. Thanks for the time. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. If you're not a subscriber to our newsletter, you can do that right now at directtoconsumeralloneword.co. I'm Eric Dick, and this has been the D2C Podcast. We'll see you next time.